Namaste and welcome to part 2 of our conversation with Ranjit Radhakrishnan author of Rama of the Axe a book about Parashurama the 6th avatar of Mahavishnu We were talking about the need for the revival of kshatra to safeguard dharma Ranjit ji your book conveys a necessary message of confidence to all of us and especially to Hindu youth These days children are anyway exposed to a lot of violence in the kind of novels they read in video games and tv shows and even random violence on news portals given this it seems rather odd that we have been cutting out all reference to violence in the service of dharma alone that's a very odd thing you know you you see the popular uh, narrative of of violence that happens somewhere it's all it's always rooted perhaps in that person there is a loved one in danger or they have to save their family it's always around that person it's almost never for a greater cause it's like the uh, modern society does not want to address this thing of a greater cause at all and our and our whole civilization our philosophy is about the greater cause that you you, you may be the strongest person alive on earth but if you are a dharmic you will be taken down because you are not following the path of dharma almost all hindus i know whether they are practicing or not whether they they are atheists they do believe somewhere or the other that the this theory of karma works that mm-hmm. you know you 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 do bad something is going to go wrong when you least expect it that this that you're going to be held accountable for it no matter that nobody knows about what you did except yourself we we are we are a people that are so you know our whole philosophy is so targeted towards this that uh, the modern narrative is trying to make us look away and i agree a lot of us have looked away but if you said if you start even reading our itihasas in their uh, original form i'm not talking of you know uh, adaptations of the mahabharat or the ramayana just taking these two texts reading probably the critical edition or maybe the gita press edition your gaze is going to shift back to that you're going to find yourself aligned to a greater cause the moment you start reading that those books with diligence it it is that simple i mean it it worked for a person like me i don't see why it won't work for people uh, for, for for others too because uh, because the feeling these texts involve uh, you know evoke in you the when when you actually read what is written there and and, and it's so different from what you've been shown in serials and movies you, your mind is so attracted to what else is you know what else is so different from what i've seen the characters and themselves she, are being so beautifully portrayed that in, you, you know you you there is not much effort in uh, that you have to personally uh, you know put in for you to be looking at that part and 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 please remember uh, almost all depictions of our divinities masculine or feminine does hold a weapon there has to be a reason for that so so when we go to the temple and we are looking at mahavishnu say you are going to gurudwara you can look at the lotus you can look at the lovely smile he's got on his face but please don't forget that he's also holding the chakra and the gada with him there is a reason he does that and uh, we need to have that kind of a culture not just physical but mental too where no matter how how much we say that ahimsa is a great ideal to be done to be pursued pursuing that ideal requires a lot of himsa in the first place 
we tend to look at ahimsa and himsa as polar opposites they are not they are complementary to each other if you want to set up a civilization it is going to require that you be intolerant to people who do not stand for the ideals of the civilization if you want to defend a civilization you will have to keep out people who want to destroy who do not want to agree with you who want to see the ruin of the civilization you are not going to do that with ahimsa you need himsa in the defense of ahimsa ranjit ji uh, let's talk a little bit about your book itself and the style your book is rich in both prose and verse and you are really proficient in both uh, you already have a story in verse published in the anthology of stories that is titled arya and uh, which has been published by indica books i must admit that i am generally versophobic that is if there is a word like that you know uh, because i generally find verse quite intimidating like i think many people do and when i heard that an entire story is told in verse i was even more petrified but to my surprise i found that i could easily follow your story titled tushara swayamvara on the woman character called shandilya duhita in the anthology arya the verse certainly wasn't easy but neither was it dense it was rich and evocative and i enjoyed it immensely you've definitely carried over the same prowess into rama of the axe for sure and your prose writing is anyway very elegant can you read for us some favorite part from your book and give us some background on why it is so why is it your favorite part uh, that's a great question um I, i think the word you're looking for is uh, metrophobia i looked it up actually even i didn't know the word i think uh, <laughs> aversion to poetry is metrophobia okay um, and i think and, and i think this hits all children the moment they open their textbooks and look at the poems um un- unfortunately um uh, the uh, ease with which we can get into poetry is a little uh, tough uh we are led to believe that poetry has to be a little obscure a little dense for it to carry any sort of uh, insightful meaning um and i think this view is held by uh, a lot of writers themselves who think that they have to make it a little complicated a little um uh, you know tough to find meanings there or uh, there is a tangent somewhere that you have to discover with a great deal of study i had the same view regarding poetry i mean i i loved english literature my and my teachers were very good at conveying that passion to me but uh, i did have this hesitancy when it came to poetry till i came across this poem in high school that i loved a lot uh, i i'm sure a lot of uh, listeners would recognize this it's called the high women by alfred noise um, yes absolutely <laughs> uh the, the thing that was so different about this poem for me was that it was telling you a story uh it was not something so esoteric that you know you had to go look for something uh, uh you know to find meaning somewhere it actually told narrated a story to you and um the opening lines were fabulous i mean i still remember that um the wind was a torrent of darkness among gusty trees the moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas the road was a ribbon of moonlight 
over the purple moor and the highwayman came riding 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 the highwayman came riding up to the old inn door that first stanza i mean just hooked me uh, uh, so I, i didn't wait for the teacher to finish i just read through the whole poem and, and i was like this is what a poem should be you know it told me a story it kept me hooked it got me uh, to to finish reading it and i just simply loved it you know um uh, it, it's something akin to a uh, to a song sometimes we hear songs uh, that we just can't get out of our heads it's like a earworm and uh, two days later you've forgotten about the song completely but there are songs that you know uh, latch onto your heart and you can't forget it and even if you have forgotten you hear a tune a small bit of it five seconds of it somewhere and you know what that song is uh, so this poem was something like that to me uh, and it's later on it's only after high school that i started to really learn malayalam and uh, start to read uh, in the in the language and I, as i got better uh, one of the things that struck me was there are so many beautiful film songs uh, i'm sure there they are beautiful film songs in all the languages in india but since uh, i was listening to malayalam uh, film songs and i was asking my parents what the meaning of each word was and i uh, as my understanding grew what i tried to do was try and you know translate those songs into english and 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 i was really bad at that and even if i thought that i had done a decent job somehow the original was you know enormously more captivating than what i could put down in english some of the songs still stay with me they i mean they're still in memory uh, so uh, when i uh, when i started to write um, rama of the axe though arya got published uh, before uh, rama there was this particular situation uh, where i, I was uh, you know i needed something to increase the impact of that particular incident and it was already dramatic enough uh, which is when it struck me that you know we are a culture of songs we have a song for almost every occasion and why don't our books have songs i've i've read uh, you know fantasy series of western authors where they have tavern songs and they have um you know warrior songs a war uh, song and we don't seem to be doing that oddly enough for a people who love songs so i thought why don't i do something like that so it was a little bit of trepidation that i started to write uh, and it was a very critical incident it, it 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 is in fact the inciting incident of the book uh, which is where the whole story takes off to a different level so i needed to get this right so i spent time on that and i decided that it would be uh an ode to the goddess so i thought i would start with that uh when i thought i had gotten it right and when i sent it out to my critique readers and they came back and said where did you get this from which purana is this coming and i said no it's completely made up it's not there in any text uh and it's when they appreciated it that i got that confidence to write more um verse and song in the book itself and i got the confidence to write that narrative poem in uh, arya because that story was so beautiful it's about uh, i mean it's a very very uh, small story in the entire uh, mahabharata and i since I, we don't know much of this lady i was starting on on a blank page and i thought i could do justice to her story because you know uh, with a song the moment i read her story i felt like you know this has to be uh, performed somewhere and 
the thing that came to mind was uh, kathakali uh, you know elaborate costumes and makeup and people uh, the performers uh, dancing in the light of a uh, huge lamp with uh, singers and uh, instrumentalists to one side and an audience facing them and it it was that kind of a feel that i got when i uh, read the original story of uh, vridha kanya uh, vridha kanya um, i've named her shandilya dohita in the book so that's how i got the confidence to write a narrative poem um, and i chose otava rima because it was used for epic poetry before but it was so overused that it became a parody of itself and that i've not come across poems that way and i thought i mean to give a throwback to olden times uh i should go with a rhyme that is you know uh, that suits that that gives that feel to it i had written it in free verse initially but the curator asked me to redo it in a in a rhyme and i thought this was the best thing to do but it all started with this one song that i had uh, in the book and um, i i wanted to convey uh, the power the magnificence of the goddess that's going to come uh, so if you don't mind i'll i'll recite that uh, verse to you that song to you oh, that is and that is exactly this. what we want you to do really <laughs> <laughs> okay okay i'll just give you a little bit of a background as to when this song comes so um, ramabhadra has been asked to execute his mother and very unwillingly uh, trusting his instinct and a small possibility that he somehow senses he goes ahead and does that in front of his father whose eyes are flowing with liquid fire with the fury that he's got inside him his four brothers have been executed by his father and he has swung the axe the cut on his mother's neck has not been clean the head is still hanging by a strand of skin and there's a deathly silence in the ashram and all of a sudden there is the sound of bone trumpets and dumaroos from around the ashram and this great multitude of agoris charge tens of thousands of them dreadlocks ash caked bodies they charge into the ashram and form a circle around jamadagni the dead renuka and ramabhadra and one of them steps forward and he starts to sing this song delve into the void merge into the night mahavidya awakens behold her might you soak in pleasure chase hollow delight swim the sea of passion be dead to the light she brings the light she brings the sun burn the body eat the mind mountain of ego scorpion of lust tread her path turn them to dust free the atman be the brahman whip of anger blade of greed hark to her song empty your need free the atman be the brahman mahavidya awakens mother comes mahavidya awakens mother comes so something happens after the song is over 
and that sets the uh, you know tone to the rest of the book and this is the beginning of uh, ramabhadra's journey to becoming parashurama so it was a very critical moment in the book and i wanted the verse to convey that and as to what is immediately going to happen uh, so it's only when i wrote this uh, and uh, i thought i had done some sort of justice to that situation was when i got the confidence to write more poetry um, and that's the story behind it <laughs> Uh, it is uh, it is very powerful in the book also you know there's a lot of raw primal energy to all the songs in the book so ranjit ji that was um, profound it gives goosebumps uh, it's it's great knowing the thought process of a writer and there are some things that only a verse can do that prose simply cannot and i think it's for this reason that great uh, mahakavyas are also written in verse so you you just feel the 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 power in verse there's another scene in the book where parashurama understands that shakti must be worshiped along with shiva uh, can you talk a little bit about that too okay uh, see there was a, a foreshadowing of this right in the beginning of the book where um his mother renuka explains to him she she's been banished from jamadagni's ashram and uh, rama is asking her what happened and she sort of dances around the issue and she tells you something that I, I, i'm not sure how i wrote it but i'm very happy that i wrote those those lines that said that uh, rishi and a patni are like agni and swaha the invocation and the oblation the fire and the ghee without going into this concept that is very popular nowadays about you know ardhanarishwara and all that stuff we have i don't think uh, we are a culture that has demeaned the feminine like it has happened elsewhere we do not have a concept where we look at women or the feminine side of humans as you know vessels of sin or uh, mm-hmm. you know temptresses i i cannot recall another religion which has women contributing hymns to the sacred texts when you're faced with a narrative that ancient women in india were all oppressed they were not you know uh, they were looked down upon i will have to disagree here because i am uh, not only because of the points that i have given you but we because we have a sacred feminine to worship now your abrahamic religions do not if they did that has been wiped out from their collective memory to not have there's there's a particular line in this book which says to not have a sacred feminine is halfway to atheism and i think that's where a lot of people are stuck today and i think that's where a lot of our problems arise from um this this idea this general belief that uh, probably women were not treated that well maybe the last 400 500 600 years we know the reason for that we know why jawhar was so valued by the rajputs without getting into all that earlier during our our vedic age i think women were held in such high esteem that their insights could be included into a, a sacred text when you have a sacred feminine and you ignore it 
maybe your ishta devata is a masculine form but denying the the feminine side to it is not something that we encourage in our belief system i think this this had to be stated because uh, probably we are the last surviving what they call pagan civilization or ideology or theology that is existing today i don't know what is the situation of in china of their traditional beliefs this is something that i think we need so much in our times especially when we have this modern myth making that goes around uh, you know portraying karna as this great uh, person when he has used the filthiest of language against women we we need to fight this we need to bring the sacred feminine forward because we have writers who call themselves feminists write about draupadi and in and in in their uh, urge to write something probably different uh, in their unbridled creative freedom to make probably a sensation about what they're writing they they tell you that she's the main protagonist in the story but then they despoil their character they attribute motives to her that are never mentioned in the original text they attribute affections that are never that wouldn't have crossed the mind and if draupadi were alive today she would have i bet you she'd have taken her chappals out and given them a sound spanking you know unfortunately <laughs> she's not around probably we'll have to do that in service of her but i i i think this this uh, foregrounding of the sacred feminine is is very necessary not just because um, parshurama was a practitioner of the tantra and the sri vidya school um, mm-hmm. but i think it's important because the feminine is shakti and which is what we need today as a civilization but i mean intrigued by what you said you know that uh... not having the feminine is half is the halfway road to atheism how what's the connection there uh-huh. every uh, religion which has had a tolerant view of a different opinion has had a sacred feminine hmm. now when you look at ideologies or theologies that have only male gods though they proclaim their beliefs to be superior their actions are completely ungodly they have brought so much blood and carnage to this world which probably can only be done by unbelievers people who do not believe in a higher power or a higher good hedonists mm-hmm. who think that you know you have one life let's do whatever we can with it take away what's rightfully others because what is going to happen there's nothing to it this is what i wanted to convey when i said when you have when you look at things in halves you create binaries when you look at fullness you don't see a binary there you see everything leading up to that one unity that we call god which is re- misrepresented again today by saying you know you can believe in any religion that you want to because krishna said that all paths lead to me a path that denies sri krishna cannot lead to him you have to accept that krishna is a divinity and avatar mahavishnu himself or the physical form of parabrahman if you want to if you deny that and say my path is different that path is not going to take you to krishna if you look at stories that are associated with sri krishna they will tell you that he is actually a manifestation of kali now that's a different perspective to him being an avatar of mahavishnu there is the feminine there too you know so when you wipe the feminine out of a spiritual practice of a theology 
out of people's collective memory you are left with one side of an equation which doesn't let you see the sins you are perpetrating on people who do not subscribe to your theology to me that is no different from a person who believes in no god and says nothing like this exists we are mortals we are here for a limited period of time you can do whatever you want to there's no consequences to this and i think that's a dangerous place to be in and i do hope that if there are i, I keep reading uh, stuff about uh, pagan revivalism that's happening in europe uh, uh, there is this catch phrase that is uh, thrown around a lot in popular narrative a lot of fantasy novels also have this uh, when they tell you to remember the faces of your forefathers uh, now we are a religion that has a ritual to remember our forefathers which is probably one of the great pillars that is still supporting our belief system so if there are people out there who want to return to your roots who are looking at alternative theologies please do look at what your forefathers were doing please remember their faces they have practices hopefully some record of that is still there if you do please get in touch with that and see where that takes you if you don't there is always sanatana dharma or hinduism i i don't see an alternative to this so i would in case you don't have a record or you don't know what to do i would request you to take a critical but objective view at what hindus do and how they live their lives i can't think of something that encompasses so many diverse views but still holds together Uh, which uh, a theology that, that does not indulge in othering people who do not subscribe to their beliefs this othering has been the cause of so much conflict in this world this having a particular messiah as a pivotal figure of a faith system is not something that hindus follow like i said in the beginning of this podcast we have 10 avatars and though we may like a particular avatar or a form of the divine we don't do that to the exclusion of others i think this is something that the world can learn from because when you attribute only evil only inferiority to people who do not subscribe to what you believe in that is perhaps the greatest himsa that you can do as a mortal because you have mentally you have assigned them to be unworthy and anything that is done to be there to, to them can be forgiven this kind of mentality has caused a, whole lot of grief in this world it continues to do so even today but we live in times where calling this out is seen as a phobia but i think we have to make our voices heard at least do that and I, I, and i'm i'm so happy that you know this is happening especially among hindus we need to put our message out there we need to show no matter how many uh, you know editorials and uh, uh, twitter threads facebook posts come out there is a very famous uh, saying here in india that hindutva is hinduism that resists and that is absolutely true we are you know sort of fed up with the lies and uh, the false narrative that goes on against us and we are now starting to talk back i think more people should join that and talking back does not happen only to people who are do not subscribe to our theology but people who say they do yet betrayed at the first instance so this is happening it's gaining more momentum and i think we should all add our little bit to it 
It's been a powerful and fascinating conversation as we expected it to be. One last thing I'd like to ask you. Do you have any advice for young people wanting to write stories based on Hindu themes? Uh, superb. Uh, always go to the primary text. We have a lot of writers writing on so many stories from Mahabharata, Ramayana and the Puranas. But it seems to be a modern fad that unless you warp something or you uh, change something about the narrative, you're not really being a writer or you're not really being a creative person. I'm all for creative freedom. But when you do something like this, you lose the essence of the story, you lose the essence of the character. As a, as a writer, to understand your protagonist and your antagonist sorts the story out in your head because everything flows from them. Whatever the story structure you adopt, whatever form that you're writing in, whether it is uh, prose or poetry, your central character carries the entire thing on his shoulders. And you have to understand him like you understand yourself or maybe know him like you know the back of your palm. And you're not going to get the true picture of that unless you go back and read the primary texts. Now, this is easily available because of the internet. I think um, the KMG, uh, Kisri Mohan Ganguly uh, Mahabharata is available. The critical edition uh, is being published by Bibek Debroy. A lot of translations are available in English. Please read them. It is going to take some time, a, a little bit of dedication to it, but it is completely worth it because you see facets of a character, like for example, Parashurama, where I had to search, I don't have a single book to go to, but I had to search through numerous sources. And, you know, finally you get a sense of what this avatar's journey uh, might have been. Probably I was only shown a glimpse of it, but I, I, I could see that glimpse because I went to the primary source. I went to the Brahmanda Purana to see what it was. I went and saw what the folk tales around uh, Parashurama were. Though uh, it says, the, the book says, Rama of the Acts, the epic saga of Parashurama, the story is not just about him. It is also about both his parents, Jamadagni and Renuka. Parashurama would not have been Parashurama if not for them. And you always have a villain that defines what the hero does Parashurama would not have been Parashurama if not for Kartavirajana. If you can get this right, you have a great story right there. The only caveat I'm adding here is that I'm speaking with all the wisdom and knowledge of one novel. So, so please bear that in mind. So, but this is one thing. If, if you are interested in writing stories based on what is uh, called Indian mythology, for lack of a better term, the stories from our Puranas, please go read an original unabridged version. It is so rich in, in that telling. You are going to question whether you are capable enough to retell the story. Okay, so that is, that, is a, uh, that is a false feeling that's going to come to you. Stick with the story, stick with the character, and you are going to gain some insight. You don't have to do stuff like, you know, make Draupadi fall in love with Karna because you want to give a new insight. There is no insight, new insight there. What insight are you going to get into Draupadi's character when you say she fell in love with Karna? This, this, was, a, this was a man who, who was the person who ordered, who ordered her to be stripped after the, after the game of dice. She is going to have no respect for him. So be careful when you, when you hear something or you see something in a serial or a movie 
please go back and check whether if, if this is right or wrong so the modern myth making has somehow it, it has got itself uh, twisted itself into some kind of a very grotesque thing where you know unless you you show your heroes as not so good people and villains as completely misunderstood and wronged people you're not actually writing a story i don't know whether this is a fault of modernism where we have we have uh, stopped taking our spiritual roots uh, seriously or we think it is of no use this this idea to entertain and you can say whatever you want to entertain does not sit well with you know what is originally written there but just imagine for yourself this character came to life before you would he or she have good things to say about what you've written would would draupadi stand in front of you and say you know i'm so glad that you said that karna was in love like i mentioned before she's most probably going to <laughs> you know use her chappals yeah. on you so uh, uh, you know so just just please be aware of that you can give motivations to characters you can give you know secret desires to characters as long as it does not impugn the character itself you know you can make, you can make somebody else the hero of mahabharat you you can write the mahabharat if you can if you have the creativity of you know without including the bhagavad gita or including sri krishna's role there at all i don't know if that is possible if you want to do that try it but please be faithful to the characters you're writing about that's the only advice i can give you i've read a few reviews of my book which say that you know i've stuck to the basic plot uh, i don't know if the reviewer was complaining about it or he was praising me for it but if he was uh, criticizing me for it um, uh, i i'm i'm okay with that because uh, to to understand parashurama through the plot that has been given to you is a greater challenge for your creative juices than to change his story to suit your agenda so if you really are bringing rigor and uh, creativity to something stick to the plot and bring new insight to it rather than change it to match your current beliefs because your beliefs are going to change 10 years from now you are not going to believe the same thing that you believe today but you've already written a story 10 years from now would that story be relevant these are questions i think a writer should ask themselves before they publish before they set it down on paper and said you know this is what it is great advice i <laughs> i have also heard you mention the word uh, 4 million manuscripts in connection yes. with you you don't know what you could uncover and that's a huge big project waiting for many young people to take it up little by little uh, understand decipher what your texts have to say and uh, try to try to join the uh, people who are doing research on the originals and trying to understand these manuscripts that are probably stored in some library right now right yes uh, i i read this somewhere i'm not um, you know please don't hold me to the uh, figures that i'm quoting now but sure. uh, i did read this somewhere that western philosophy uh, their stories about uh, the ancient world all rests on a corpus of 30000 manuscripts now we have had uh, ransacking of universities here in india libraries have been destroyed manuscripts have been burned some places have continued burning for 3 months yet we have 4 million manuscripts available today and we don't know how many more 
yet to be discovered. Look at the quantitative difference in this. And we've been accused of being a civilization that has no historical sense, that does not record anything. We've lost mm-hmm. those records. We have found a few, most of which are not translated. This is probably one aspect of our civilizational battle that people don't pay too much attention to and something I hope the government takes up on a war footing because we literally don't know what is there in those texts. Maybe there is a Parashuramayana there. I hope there is. <laughs> Maybe there is more insight into a, into figures that uh, we don't know too much about. If I remember correctly, uh, though they say Murga is the Tamil god, the oldest temple to Kartikeya is in Himachal Pradesh. Now, if you if you if you look at stuff like this, there has been a lot of migration that's been happening among people across the length and breadth of India. So, what is this connection that is there? Rather well, on the Kartikeya word, thing, uh, I think even the Yazidis uh, have a deity who looks like Muruga, yeah, and uh, you know has a peacock as a vahanam. So yeah, yeah. So it it's an, it even extends beyond the current geographical boundaries of India. True, true. Um, we still do not know the origins of the Gypsies, the Roma people, why they left India, what made them travel all the way to there. You do have, I think it's in France, a church where uh, the Romas go to worship, and it's uh, they call her Mother Kali. You, <laughs> you actually step back and look at the spread of Hinduism and our theology. It's all across Southeast Asia, all the way up to Japan. We are now discovering how far west it's gone. So this is something I hope, you know, is more comes to light on this. I hope this attracts more youngsters looking into this. Um, there's a new Indiana Jones movie that's come out, I guess. I don't know how well it's done or not. Archaeologists were suddenly very cool when... Uh, Indiana Jones came out. Uh, history was suddenly cool. So if you s- still think it is cool, please start looking at stuff like this. We could do with a lot more eyes and hands on something like this. And uh, if this is your inclination, please go ahead. I, I think there's, there's, there's some treasure that we are going to uncover, hopefully during my, my lifetime. Let's hope for the best. Yes, yeah, so, it has been... I don't know. It has been an all-encompassing journey from talking about our metaphysics to your book to the character of Parashurama. I don't know what all I must say that I have taken away from this conversation. But one certainly is that uh, Parashurama has, you know, been uh, unfairly put down by the wayside. Uh, hopefully, your book is uh, going to be the start of a revival of uh, reverence for the avatar of Parashurama. As you have laid out in this expansive conversation that we have had, there is so much and there are so many facets to this character. So I think he needs a much bigger space than has been given so far. I also think that the last point you mentioned about being true to the sources, but also expanding and uh, giving uh, giving expression to your creativity, that is so important. Uh, today, we see only ideology sort of uh, trying to 
you know, reframe and reconstruct our stories. Ideologies are impermanent, but Hinduism is Sanatana for uh, reasons that are far, far, far deeper than an ideology can uh, comprehend. I think you have uh, expressed through your book how creative you can be without actually messing with the characters, you know, and their intrinsic nature. Ranjitji, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we close? I, I think in the beginning of the podcast, I had mentioned something about how I got involved with the Parashurama story and I think I left it unsaid. So if I can take a couple of minutes to tell you how this whole thing started. So uh, from 1999 to I think 2003, 2004, starting with my father, there were a series of deaths in my family. And uh, when we had to do the last rites, the 13th day rites or the rites that we do one year after the death of the person, I used to go to this temple on the outskirts of Trivandrum called Thiruvallam. The deity there is Parashurama. And though I've been in uh, Thiruvannathapuram for a couple of years, and I've been to all the major temples, this is one temple I didn't go to. And so uh, the first time I went there was to perform the last rites of an elder of the family. And uh, that's when it struck me that I am here in the temple of this deity and I'm doing the last rites here. I'm saying my prayers and leaving. I know next to nothing about him. And uh, that's where this journey started. And this is where it has gotten me. It's been a fascinating journey. I, I, I am, uh, truth be told, I don't know how I wrote certain portions of the book, but I'm just happy it came out through me. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, there's this term people use saying having the gift of the gab. I am certainly not one of those people, but both of you have made me <laughs> speak for two hours now, I think, and that is some doing. So congratulations to both of you. I am very reluctant to talk otherwise. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, if there are any questions the listeners have, uh, please leave it on your comments and I'm happy to clarify anytime you want to. So Ranjitji, the pleasure has all been ours and we thank you so much for taking out time to talk to us. We are actually happy that we were able to tease out so much from you, especially when you say you are normally a very reticent speaker. We have unraveled so many threads through the course of this expansive discussion and Rekha and I have learned so much from you. But conversations must come to an end sometime, don't they? So I think it's time to bring down the curtains on this one with the absolute conviction that this won't be the last conversation that we will have with you. However, till we have you back again, we hope our listeners will engage with this conversation and go grab their copies of Rama of the Axe. For our listeners, the book Rama of the Axe is the debut novel of author Ranjit Radhakrishnan. It has been published by Westland Books and is available in all leading bookstores as also on Amazon, Flipkart, and Padega India. Hindu Parenting does like Padega India as a seller because they're very prompt in their delivery and they add a very friendly touch to their deliveries too. However, we do not mind whoever you buy it from as long as you buy it and read it too and leave us feedback on the book. The links to buy the books are in the podcast description 
as also our ranjit ji's various social media handles please do follow him and encourage him to give us more work like this if you like what we do we request you to please subscribe to our substack to get new releases directly into your mailbox and please do recommend us to your family and friends our podcast is also available on spotify apple podcast and google podcast please also follow us on our various social media handles we go by the handle hindu parenting on twitter on instagram facebook facebook groups who and on telegram that's it from us for now until the next time namaste